Hey, good morning, everyone. It's really great to have you here with us today as we continue our series called Follow. And it's been a trek through the book of Mark. We've gone through 16 chapters in our journal. And uh, again, I want to again make that journal available to you. If you don't have the new journal yet, pick it up at the Welcome Center and you can uh, join us as we read through the scriptures together as a church family. Um, and again, I want to invite you to our Good Friday service. We're going to be looking at, uh, there's two of them, one at 5.30 and one at 7. We're going to be looking at the arrest, the trials, the suffering, the crucifixion, and the, bur- the death and the burial of Jesus. And then we're going to celebrate communion. And I'm going to show some pictures of Jerusalem and the, the places that these events happened. We're also going to have clips from The Passion of the Christ, that movie. And because of that, we have a children's program downstairs. So parents, uh, you can decide on that. But uh, basically, we have a children's program up through sixth, sixth grade. Um, we want to, again, not sensationalize this, but we want to really get into the picture of what happened in the life of Christ there. And then we want to realize what is the ramification? What's our response to the death of Jesus on Good Friday? On Easter, though, we're going to be talking about the true story of the resurrection. And we're going to be sharing that down at TPAC. And that's why we give you these cards. Invite a friend. This is an easy time for you to invite a a friend or a family member who don't normally go to church to hear this true story. And then be praying how you can follow up with them and uh, consider their response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. We're doing this to call people to respond, not only uh, personally in our lives, but the people around us to respond to the person and the work of Jesus. Right now, however, I want to talk to you as, as we celebrate Palm Sunday. There's two events that were kind of compared and contrast in the book of Mark. One is Palm Sunday, where Jesus enters Jerusalem. People are laying down their coats. They're laying down um, uh, palm branches before him as he rides on a donkey through the city. And then, less than a week later, he's crucified. And, and you see these two pictures. It's, it's either the crowd or the cross. And we see that picture, the crowd uh, proclaiming Hosanna in the highest, and then we see him within a week being crucified. Perhaps that same crowd crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And we kind of step back, and as we look at this passage, we can basically say two things. I'm going to either respond to the crowd, or I'm going to respond to the cross. Now, it's my prayer as I prepared this that you would respond to the cross because everyone around you is pretty much looking at the crowd and seeing how to live in response. What's popular? What's in? How do I fit in that mix? But Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Let's take a look at this crowd in Mark chapter 11. We see uh, Jesus coming into the town. It says this, and they brought the cult to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally is a, is a messianic call to Jesus. Save us. That's what it means. And they were calling him to come and be their king. 
This happened as Jesus was coming down from the Mount of Olives and going right up into the city of Jerusalem. Here's kind of a picture. Here's a picture I took while I was in Jerusalem this past year. And this is from the Mount of Olives, which is right here. And this is going right up into Jerusalem. Over here, and we're going to see this, a lot of this on Friday evening on the Good Friday service. That's the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was praying when he was arrested. But he came at this time, he came up into Jerusalem and to this gate. Let's move a little bit closer there. This gate right there is known as the Golden Gate or in ancient times, the Beautiful Gate. And uh, let me even go up a little bit closer. What's the problem with that gate is that it's walled off. Right now, it's been walled off since uh, the year 1541, when Ottoman Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent, what a great name, right? He walled it off because he had heard uh, the story from the Jews that the Messiah from Ezekiel chapter 44 would enter Jerusalem when he returns through that gate. And he didn't want the Messiah, so he walled it off. And then he kind of double bolted the door and he put a cemetery on the other side of this door, doorway, this, this gate through the city because he believed that, uh, and, and wrongly so, that any rabbi who walked through a cemetery would make himself unclean. So that would certainly deter the Messiah from reclaiming Jerusalem, right? Folks, Jesus is going to have no problem bursting through this wall. It's not going to be a problem. But I just think about it as I saw that walled up. I just think about my own heart. As Jesus comes to me, how do I receive him? Do I shut the door, wall up my heart, double bolt it? So because I'm so threatened by his leadership in my life, or am I willing to trust him? Am I willing to follow him? That's the invitation of this. But here on this day, Jerusalem was welcoming him as he entered it on Palm Sunday. He also entered a week that would end up with his arrest, with his trials, with his beatings, with his crucifixion and with his death. Because the other picture of this week is Mark chapter 15. Look at that with me, starting with verse 33. Jesus is on the cross and it says, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness Over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard it, said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Think about this. Less than a week after the crowd said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're saying, crucify him, crucify him. When Pilate says, I'm innocent of this man's life. Well, the crowd yells out, let his blood be on us and on our children. How ironic, isn't it? And the sovereign plan of God through the death of Jesus Christ The blood of Jesus is on us and on our children. All who believe in the work of Jesus, his blood is applied to our lives. But I want to talk to you again about this whole picture of the crowd and the cross. What's motivating the push to to seek the crowd and to seek the acceptance of the crowd? What's pushing us for this? And here's the reality of what's pushing us. It's called the crown. 
It's what I like to call the crown. It's what, it's what motivates us to seek acceptance. It's the crown. And the Bible describes the crown as this. Glory, honor, and power. And, you know, you can pursue this with our lives. We can do this. We can look for it when glory. We look for fame. We look for privilege. We look for the applause of people. We look for the acceptance of others in our lives. Honor. Boy, don't we look for that? We look for love. And we look for respect. We, someone that values us and gives us worth and, and gives us significance. And then we long for power. Position. Authority. Influence. To be quoted, to be sought after. This is the crown. This is the crown. How do you get the crown? See, man's way to the crown is always the crowd. God's way is always through the cross. We've got to remember that as a follower of Jesus. Because at a moment where he could take the leadership of Israel, Jesus pursued the cross. And that's the reality in our lives. We have to be willing to deny ourselves, give up our cross, and follow Jesus. That's the whole picture of the Christian life. Because the promise of God is that the crown is for anyone who takes up the cross. Jesus was exalted and he was glorified when he took the cross. Look at how Paul describes him in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 8, he says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I've preached this multiple times, this passage. It's one of my favorites. Because the reality will be when Jesus Christ returns and those of us who believe, we will say, yes, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. And those who have rejected him will go, oh, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're going to live our lives to seek that glory for ourselves and the glory from the crown. Or we can give it up and step down from ourselves, deny ourselves, take up that cross and follow Jesus. I believe the cross is the way for every believer. Why do I believe this? Well, for five reasons. Number one, for salvation, for salvation itself. Peter explains it really clearly in 1 Peter 3, 18. I think it's a fascinating passage. Peter here sourced Mark in the account of Jesus. And here in 1 Peter 3, 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us, that he might bring us to God. Let's just unpack this verse real quickly. Because without the cross, we do not have salvation. Jesus suffered once. And because he suffered once on the cross for our sins, God is not looking for anything from us for our salvation because Jesus was enough. And that's one of the uh, entry points to faith in Christ is that you realize that Jesus truly is enough. I don't have to keep working. I don't have to keep trying. I don't have to look at my life of what I'm doing. I have to trust in what's already been done. I need to trust in, in the person who suffered once 
for my sins. Some of us come from backgrounds where we believe we've got to stay, uh, stay righteous in order for God to be pleased with us. Or we've got to have our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. And, and, and we've been performing for a long time. And the cross says, stop. Done. Completed. Fully paid. It's not what you're doing. It's what's already been done on Jesus, with Jesus on the cross. And we have to believe that. That's the salvation we have through Christ. The cross is why Jesus came, and the cross is how Jesus forgave us. Now, we can chase the crowd for salvation. We can. We do. We search for personal saviors, whether it's in, in a different abilities of our own or for, the, for issues that we're constantly chasing. But the crowd is always changing. The crowd is fickle. Think about this. In the life of Jesus, in less than a week, they went from Hosanna to crucify him. But the cross is timeless. It's faithful. It's God's timeless invitation to call us away from ourselves and the crowd to believe, to receive, and to follow Jesus Christ. We need the cross. Without it, we don't have salvation. Secondly, why the cross? Because of security. Because we have, we have security. Security is confidence. It's peace. It's no longer fearing the wrath of God. I like how Paul kind of explains it in Romans 6, verse 6. He says this. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Think about that. We can chase the crowd for security. Security is kind of a tenuous word. It's always shifting. Used to be we could find security in the crowd, but no longer. I mean, 9-11 really blew that out of the water, right? It's, it's the attacks are always in crowds. They're looking in crowds. I mean, and, and even this week when you had a pilot who locks himself in the cockpit and plummets the plane to the earth in Germany, 150 people die. There's not one of us who are flying this week who will look at that pilot any day. I mean, the same way. Well, well, I hope you're doing well today. Yeah, because it's amazing how one event can totally sway the crowd. Crowds freak when they're insecure. Jesus came to give us that security. It's through the cross that, that preaches stability and peace and acceptance and belonging with God. Through the cross, we go, you don't have, you, you're not, you don't have a life that's in and out and in and out based on your performance. You have a life that is eternally secure in the promise and the work of the person of Jesus Christ. And how was that given to us? The cross. The cross. You want that security? Come to the cross. That's the picture. And then there's hope, right? The hope of the cross. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Real simple. He says this. For me to live is Christ and to die is, read it with me, gain. Boy, to die is gain. That's not how the crowd views death. Crowd views death as, oh man, don't let that happen to you. The crowd looks at even approaching death. Oh, you're over 50, get plastic surgery. And so we have people with smiles literally from ear to ear because faces have been tucked behind the back of their heads. We don't, we fear the future in the crowd. 
We've got to stay on top. The worst fear someone on top has is that you'd be a has-been. So even our musicians, the ones that are aging and getting older, they pair themselves with younger musicians whose career are skyrocketing. And then you have the duet albums that are out all around us. See, the crowd is always shifting with hope. And it's always a picture of what will tomorrow look like. And if tomorrow has the guarantee that it's better than today, guess what you have? Hope. Do you know that's true though? Hope builds an expectation. And the cross builds that expectation of security and hope in your lives. Popular opinion rarely sustains hope. But because Jesus died for me and for you on the cross, boy, Paul says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Life itself is win-win with Jesus. How do you have a win-win life? I mean, worst day of your life, you have the hope of eternity. Most difficult day of your life, you have the hope of the gospel because of the cross. You know, it's what the New Testament church would ultimately believe. And we're going to develop this more on my Easter message. But the New Testament church was founded on the hope of the resurrection. And, and it brought back to the hope of forgiveness, brought back by, from the cross. And that hope allowed them to live courageously, fearlessly in the present age as they waited for the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Through death or his return, they had that hope. What would you be willing to do if you had the hope of Jesus in your life? See, that's what the church is called into. The church is called into courage, not fear, to hope, not helplessness. And we have that because of the cross. Confidence for eternity, confidence for today. And then the cross gives us identity, doesn't it? I love Galatians 2.20 where Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's our identity. We find our identity in Christ through the cross. You know, the identity of the crowd is constantly changing, constantly changing. And I think just as I think about a crowd, I think about the peer pressure around me or this picture that I have of what a normal life looks like. We all kind of have that in the back of our minds, don't we? And so when something bad happens to you, there's that longing. Can I just be normal again? Well, I've dealt with people for most of my life and most of my adult life in ministry with people. Here's, here's my rule on people. You ready for it? It's real simple. Rule number one. There are no normal people. None of us are normal. I mean, there's elements of our lives. I wish I was normal. I wish I had that. Or even in our people groups, even if we separate from the crowd and we build this little group of people who we like to be around, they're still not normal. We all are messed up. And we all need, can I just be honest? We need a different identity than the one the crowd gives us and even the one that we give ourselves. I've done a lot of internal processing in the middle of the night, and I've realized I always haven't been balanced on the way I viewed myself. And so we've got to come to someone who will give us a new identity. 
one that's no longer broken by sin, no longer, as Paul says here, enslaved by sin, but in the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. See, it's no longer we who lives. The identity we have as a follower of Jesus because of the cross, it's, the, it's Christ who lives within us. That's what we're called to. That's our identity. And it's identity much better than you chasing after the crowd. The crowd will kill your identity. And it's always, the rules change. Here's the deal. Do not change your clothing for the next 20 years and see how that works with the crowd. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. We always are shifting to take on the identity of what's in, what's out. We've got to come to the cross for our identity. And finally, we need to come to the cross for our direction. We have a direction through the cross that Paul talks about is one of power and of wisdom from God. If you want to read about your identity in the cross, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible that talks to you about the, the wisdom of the cross and your identity. Paul says in verse 23 of that chapter, he says, but we cre- preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Think about this just in comparison to the direction of the crowd. The crowd is highly marketed to. The crowd is pawned for the purposes of just a few people. The crowd is used, it's swayed, it's influenced to the ends of someone or something that promises success, pleasure, fame or privilege. It's always shifting. The rules are always changing. The direction of the cross is solid and sure, ending with the glory of God. Because here's the reality. We were made from far more than ourselves. We were made from, for giving glory to God in a solid direction. And, and the cross is that power of God and wisdom of God. It's not in getting, it's in giving. It's not my way, it's the way of Jesus in my life. It's not lifting and propping myself up through my job or through my income or through my reserves or through my position or through my privilege. It's, it's in stepping down to lift up the name and the person of Jesus Christ. So we come back down to this. What is going to sway me in life? How am I going to live? Will I live in response to the crowd or to the cross? I was reading this week in Revelation chapter 4. And uh, the, the scene that John is writing down is a vision of him being taken up into heaven. And he is just writing. He is writing and, and writing it down. Everything he's seeing. And for many of us who think that heaven will be a boring experience of uh, just sitting around on terry cloth, you know, terry cloth robes and harps, he totally blows it out of the water. For others of us who say that heaven will be all about me and that I'll finally, it will be the eternal golf game or, or it'll be a beach on that glassy sea and I'll just be able to relax where life, I can finally live life on my own terms. He blasts that out of the water too. And he basically says, heaven will not be about you. It won't. So if you're thinking heaven will be about you, you will be greatly disappointed. But it will not be boring. 
Think about this. The people on this earth who have the greatest fame, the greatest resources, the most privilege and the highest position. How's that working out for them? They have magazines about them. And we laugh and we go, how in the world does this happen? Folks, we were not made to to worship ourselves. We were crafted and created from our creator in his image to worship and glorify him. And heaven will be all about him. And you will find your true identity in him. And he will move you in a direction. It will be an exploration. It will be an adventure. It's going to far exceed any of your highest pleasure here on earth. And you will fit into the family of God. Fully and finally through the work of Jesus Christ in your lives. Trust me, in a hundred years, come up to me in heaven. Say, Joe, was that you? Joe, you were, you were right. You kind of undersold this place. Yeah, you, you'll realize that. Because here's the picture of heaven that John kind of draws for us in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. He says, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their, here's that word, they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. This is the source of all life and the source of our lives. We'll meet and we'll have daily experience with. And whatever crown we have, whatever authority he's given us in heaven, we're going to take it off our heads. And we're going to go, no way, no, no comparison to your glory. No, no, I should not be around your honor. And your power is nowhere near mine. And we'll lay it down and we'll use those to worship him. We'll take whatever crown he's given and we'll lay it down because he will be first. He will be our best. And he will, we will, he will, we will worship and, and we will find true contentment and fulfillment and joy and peace and love and belonging in the community of the family of God. You will not be bored. So why not right now? Can't we pull away from the crowd? In order to make Jesus greater. We're going to do that for eternity. Why can't we? How do we do that? Well, here's how we do it. We follow Jesus. And we take the cross. We deny ourselves in this life. What we want to say your will be done. We take up our cross and that we step down. And and life is not going to be about the promotion of Joe Hishma. Or you just put your name in there. By the way. Yesterday was National Joe Day, okay? So I just wanted to lift that up. No, we stepped down. We stepped down. It's true, but I'm sorry. (laughs) We're so tempted to be the me monster and to show people where there's the difference, right? And life can't be about that if it's going to be about Jesus. We've got to step down from ourselves. We've got to step down from an arrogance that... I think better than others, that I'm better than others, that I'm stronger or that I'm more spiritual and we need to lift up Jesus. None of us are here because we earned this or deserve this. We're here because Jesus deserves our worship 
and our praise. And we can all receive his love and his forgiveness and his grace because he offers it to whosoever believes. And we are people then who live in his power, who love the way he does. Not not loving to get or to abuse or to use people, but loving to give up our lives for others. That's Jesus. Before there's the crown, there's the cross. Let's be those people that God can rely on in this generation, in your generation. May you be a generation. May we be a church who is not swayed by the crowd, but chooses the cross every day. In your families, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your schools, choose the cross. Live in response to the cross. Everyone is following the crowd. Live the cross. Let's pray. Just in a few moments of quietness before we pray here, let me just ask you to think about what have you been chasing? Where have you been living in response? Has it been the crowd? Can you name a few things that makes you want to be more like the crowd than to take the cross? If the Holy Spirit calls any of those things to the front of your mind, would you just confess them to the Lord? Confess whatever crown you've set over the cross. Heavenly Father, you are honored. You're glorified when we confess our sins because you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you that through the cross, we have that forgiveness. Thank you for the cross being far superior to anything the crowd could offer us or promise us or even has a track record with. And Father, we choose the cross to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to lift you up, to glorify you, to give you with our lives glory and honor and power. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.